The waters are so hot and toxic that they would strip the flesh off any other animal. But flamingos thrive here. Oh, yeah, are flamingos pink because of what they eat? I have no idea. Did you see that flamingo the other day that had a prosthetic leg? No, really? Yeah, it was really cute. <laughs> they, somebody fashioned Put him a prosthetic on. leg and he was like... Oh, unbelievable. ..back in action. <laughs> What are they called now? Mallards. Mallards. I'm a big fan of mallards. Yeah? It's not respected in birdwatching at all to be a fan of mallards, but I like them. Because they are standard issue. Because they're standard issue. And did you hear about the study recently that found that the, was it the robin? The robin, yeah. Is that just because nobody knows what birds are out there? Just like, which which bird do you know was basically the question. So (laughs) the robin was already the official bird of Britain. Ah. So I'm kind of... Thought the queen was the official bird of Britain. (laughs) The people's bed of Britain is the robin. <laughs> right, we good? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Hello, my name is Kirsty Styles, and welcome to the new Economics Foundation's weekly economics podcast. This week, we've got a super special guest. It's Mary Robertson, Research Fellow in Economics at Leeds University, here to give us some insight into the great, and that's great as in huge, not good, housing crisis. A high-vis jacket, hard hat and trowel, all de rigueur for any politician. David Cameron in particular has described a recent brick factory visit as one of his prime ministerial highlights. We've said that a Conservative government would build 100,000 new starter homes. To raise money for deposit, 14% of 18 to 34-year-olds are considering living with parents, and 1 in 25 are even thinking of taking part in paid medical trials. It's very important that I think we should, uh, in government, allow people to fulfil their aspirations, and that includes to own their own home. So this week, I'm here with Mary Robertson, who's a research fellow in economics at Leeds University, talking about a little place I like to call home. So as a non-moneyed human in London, this is obviously an issue that's close to my heart, Mary. Why am I paying so much to live in London? Well, the short answer to that question is that demand for housing is massively exceeding supply. There are a number of reasons for this. Uh, So one is the British economy is hugely imbalanced. Most economic activity takes place in London or around it. It's where most employment is. It's the most productive part of the country. So most people want to live there. Uh, Added to that, because house prices have been increasing in London for some time now, London property has become a target for international investors. It's a safe way to not only store their money, but to make more, uh, which is increasing demand even more. And these two factors are happening against a backdrop in which Britain hasn't been building enough housing for 35 years. So this dates back to the right to buy, which was introduced in 1980 by Margaret Thatcher and was accompanied by restrictions on councils building housing. Now, ever since then, the rate of house building has gone down. So it's not that private builders have built less, but they haven't expanded the amount that they're building to make up for the difference lost through councils stopping building. So over 35 years, we've had this accumulated shortage, which along with the demand pressures in London, means that prices are going up. Okay, so um, the right to buy is is one of those kind of thorny issues. It is indeed. The Conservative government are revisiting this as a policy, right? They are. They want to introduce the right to buy in housing associations. Um, so previously it was made compul- in 1980 it was made compulsory for council housing um, in the 1990s Blair introduced 
housing associations as a kind of an alternative form of social housing to address some of the fallout of the original right to buy policy. Uh, and now the Tories want to extend the right to buy to housing association properties. OK, so uh, I think so it was Margaret Thatcher who wanted to create this nation of homeowners. Why is it, I guess, such a problem that, that I mean, a lot of people would say the right to buy, the best thing that ever happened to me, right? Yeah, and for some individuals, I think that is true. So the right to buy was certainly, as you say, underpinned by this idea that Britain should be a nation of homeowners. Previously, we had a mixed tenure system. Some people would own their own property, some people would live in council housing, some people would live in the private rented sector. And all of these different tenures were kind of accommodated for. Uh, What was underpinning the right to buy is owner occupation should be the default tenure. It's what everyone should aspire to. Everyone should become a homeowner. Now, obviously, there's a problem in the sense that not everyone can afford to become a homeowner. But at least before the 2007-9 financial crisis, this problem was addressed through mortgage lending. So mortgage lending was becoming increasingly available, uh, ever more risky. So loan-to-value ratios on mortgages were going up, loan-to-income ratios of mortgages were going up. They were much easier to access, even with a bad credit rating. Uh, which meant that even with house prices rising relative to incomes, low-income households could afford to buy a house through accessing a mortgage. Since the financial crisis, uh, mortgage lenders have, what we we say, retreated to safety. So they're much more careful about who they're lending to and the size of the mortgages that they're lending. And this has meant that affordability problems and the problems with the kind of Thatcherite vision of everyone owning their home have become much more apparent. Okay, and, if you, and you've, you've already alluded to it, but um, uh, the, the financial crisis and its relationship with, with the housing market, how much is the housing market tied to the financial sector? Importantly, so there have been significant changes in the mortgage market uh, over the last 30, 35 years. So in the 1980s, building societies cartel over mortgage lending uh, was broken up. So it used to be only building societies that could lend out mortgages. This was reversed in the 1980s or undone in the 1980s, which meant that banks started to lend mortgage in, which hugely increased competition in the mortgage market. Um, And at the same time, we started to import techniques of securitisation from America. So this is where you chop up mortgages and trade them as financial assets. Now, this allows mortgage lenders to take mortgages off their books, which means they can lend more. uh, But also those trading these securities are making a lot of money. So it created this impetus to lend more mortgages coming from the financial sector. So at least before the financial crisis, you were getting this kind of reinforcing cycle between house prices and mortgage lending, which was partly fed by the profit that the financial sector were making from this lending and this these forms of securitisation. Ah, OK. And this is the kind of subprime mortgage? Yeah, it's very much tied up with that. I mean, technically, it was subprime in America that triggered the financial crisis. So they had much, a far larger subprime market than we ever did in Britain. Um, and Britain got embroiled because British banks were buying securities containing subprime mortgages in America as assets. And so when those subprime mortgages started to fail... Because people can't afford to pay back the mortgages. Because people couldn't afford to pay back the mortgages. British banks lost money because they suddenly realised they owned these securities and they didn't know how much they were worth or how risky they were. And this had knock-on effects on banks lending mortgages here. Okay, so why do you think the housing market has become so crazy? I think it's those two key changes in the 1980s. One is the changes in mortgage market. So mortgage market liberalisation, the breakup of building societies cartel, um, which was accompanied more generally by increased international capital flows, which much more liquidity in the system, a lot of which was being channeled into mortgage markets. And at least from the 1990s, low interest rates. All of these factors massively increased mortgage lending. Uh, And on the other hand, the right to buy and the restrictions on councils building. So you've got this huge upward pressure on prices coming from the mortgage 
mortgage market and from shortages of supply, which have combined to create the affordability crisis that we have today. Okay, and um, you know, whenever I, I hear a politician on the news, they're saying what we've got is a supply problem, and all we need to do is build more homes. What is the government actually doing about all of this? Exactly the opposite of what it should be doing, in my opinion. So. Although there's a recognition that we're not building enough homes, the government is wedded to the idea that we need to incentivise the private sector to build these homes rather than building them ourselves, which means they're channelling money into demand-side stimuluses rather than supply-side stimuluses, which is only serving to increase the gap between demand and supply. So to give you some figures, uh, in the last four years, the government has spent 115 billion on demand side stimuluses in the housing sector. These include housing benefit, for example, and help to buy, where they guarantee part of the equity in a mortgage. And they're only spending 1.1 billion on supply side subsidies in social housing. Now, if that 115 billion spent on demand side stimuluses had been instead used to fund supply side stimuluses, we could have built 6.8 million houses. Uh, which is enough to house Britain's growing population for the next 30 or so years. Okay. And can you give us a bit more yeah, detail on, on how many houses we need, how many houses we have? Yeah, so the um, the estimates are that we need to be building about 250 to 300,000 homes a year. Uh, in order, and that's to address the backlog and to meet the needs of Britain's growing population. In London, the estimates are that we need about 49,000 homes a year. We're currently building just over 20,000. So there's a huge gap between what's happening at the moment and what we need to be building. Um, why did they stop councils? Why can't councils build homes? <laughs> <laughs> it's a very good question. On, and I, I, I don't have a sensible answer. Um, but I think we've touched on it already. You know, There was a Thatcherite vision of a different Britain, which was Britain being a nation of homeowners, which I think is tied up with this kind of idea of individual entrepreneurship and self-reliance. So Thatcher was very against state dependence, collective forms of welfare provision. And she saw one way of tackling these as being encouraging individuals to have their own assets, take care of themselves. So it's this idea of if you buy a house, accumulate capital gains over time, then that wealth stored up in your house can be resorted to in old age as a way of taking care of standing for a pension or taking care of care costs, passing on to your kids and so on. So it, it, housing became embedded in this vision of a individualistic form of welfare provision, which is which is why I think that the idea of housing being an asset rather than just a form of shelter has become so widespread. And so finally, I want to know how we're going to, we could, maybe not how we're going to, um, <laughs> get ourselves out of this mess. So what, what kind of uh, campaigners are you seeing or, you know, um, you know actual solutions do you have uh, to this kind of problem? Well, the first thing to note is this is a problem that's been unravelling for the last 35 years. There's going to be no quick fixes, um, but I still think we need to combine immediate efforts to ameliorate some of the problems of housing in the present situation with measures to address the long-term causes. So on the first... Um, more and more people are spending longer and longer in the private rented sector. So things like secured tenancies, registering private landlords to boost conduct of landlords, living rents and so on would help to improve people's living conditions immediately. But I think the long-term solution has to be building house more housing because we have got this accumulated undersupply. And we know from history a very effective method of doing that is allowing local authorities to build. Now, I think it's important to stress that even 
private house builders themselves are very, very open about the fact that they are not going to build enough housing to meet Britain's needs. They, you know, It's not in their interest. It's not profitable for them. That's not the game they're in. For them, building on a relatively small scale each year is the way they manage their risks and their margins. So someone else is going to need to step in and fill that gap. And the obvious answer is the state. On the question of whether we're going to see these changes, you know, one of the encouraging things is that there's been some very successful and very militant housing campaigns that have emerged in the last couple of years, focusing for E15, Sweets Way, Dalesbury Estate in Southwark and so on. Now, these are people who are at the front line of this clash between housing being an asset and housing being a home because they're essentially living on high value, on social housing, on high value land, and they're being cleared off it because... The policy agenda at the moment is we need to maximise the value that is realised in that land and you don't belong here, which is why we're seeing 50,000 families moved out of London to be rehoused elsewhere. You know, So the fact that people are starting to fight back is very encouraging, but I think policymakers are a long way off from taking the kind of dramatic action that we need to really change things. Okay, Mary, well, I mean, complicated and um, and fascinating and actually an issue that's really close to home for, I'm sure, everybody that's listening. Thank you very much for taking the time out to chat to us today. Today I learned why building societies are actually called building societies. <laughs> that's what my key takeaway. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. The Weekly Economics Podcast is brought to you by the New Economics Foundation an independent think tank and charity that campaigns for a fairer, sustainable economy. Find out more and get involved at neweconomics.org. If you've never listened to us before, check out all of our previous episodes, which have covered the global debt, inequality, Greece and inflation uh, on iTunes, SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back at the same time next week. Oh, is it a bit like liking you too or something? It's exactly like liking you two. Although I think Mallard's are better than you two.